Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. We're going to return to some basics of faith for a little bit tonight. Gary Crow, was that some good stuff? Man, oh man, I, I'm seeing about getting it online. In fact, I just saw, I, I, when I made this note, I had not yet heard from him, but I heard from him in the last hour and a half where he said if we edit the first part of the Sunday morning message, we can go ahead and put it online. He has to be very, very careful about what stuff gets out there, but I think it was only during the first part of his Sunday morning message where he named names and talked about some of the difficulties uh, in travel and the crackdowns in China. So we'll have both of those messages up soon. Uh, anyway, he did some great teaching on prayer Sunday night, so get that when we get it up. If you, if, especially if you missed it, go listen to it. And if you, if you were here, I would encourage you to listen to it again. And meanwhile, I keep coming back to some things he said about the authority of the believer and how God has delegated this authority to us and how even in his sovereignty, he really cannot uh, unilaterally enter a situation without the prayers of his covenant people. This is the way he set it up. Well, that, make, that means God's not sovereign. No, that's the way he sovereignly arranged things. He created us. We fell. We submitted our... Uh, he, he made us. He made man, Adam, the manager, the, the, the uh, overseer, the, uh, the one... He gave uh, dominion to Adam over the earth. And everything in it. And when Adam basically bowed his knee to Satan, Satan became the Lord of this earth. Now, Jesus won that authority back at the cross. And we who are in Christ get to share that authority. But there's two things to remember. Those who are not in Christ are still, they're not under his authority, even though he won it back from Satan. They're still under Satan's authority. And those who are in Christ but don't have the knowledge that that comes with authority can still be saved and yet still walk under that oppression and that evil rule of the ruler of this world. You know that, right? Many of you were saved years before you knew you had any authority in Christ, right? Right? Okay. So uh, we've got this delegated authority, and he has said, you know, this, this is yours, but we have to speak it. We have to speak speak God's word into these situations, specifically invite him into these situations. And there is so much of his word that we need to be actively applying to our lives. I was listening last night uh, to David Jeremiah. Anybody ever listen to these guys? Anybody ever listen to anybody who's not a straight word of faith preacher? Moody Radio's got some great speakers. David Jeremiah, uh, who's the guy, the Scottish guy over in uh, Alistair Begg. Uh, Charles Stanley. I love listening to these guys, uh, but you kind of have to have your filter on because every now and then they touch on the Word of Faith stuff, and they're just wrong about it. But I was listening to David Jeremiah last night, and he was talking about overcoming fear. I don't know if anybody heard this message. It was a great message, and he rattled off a lot of great verses when he was talking about. If you're, he talked about you've got to identify the fear, you've got to confront it. He says, then you find what the Bible has to say. He says, and yet there are promises, there are verses, there are things God has said, and you claim these things, and you speak them over your life. And I'm like, this is word of faith. 
I'm amazed. And Charles Stanley will do the same thing. He will speak. I'm like, this is word of faith right down the line. Except what it boils down to is what we are claiming. The principles are identical. They say you have to speak it, you have to claim it, you have to believe it. There are just certain things they won't speak, claim, or believe. That's where, that's where the only disconnect is. What has God promised? So, we have to remember a couple things. And I know you've heard, most of you have heard all this before. Well, most of, this, most of you have heard most of this. But remember that faith begins where the will of God is known. We can't really exercise faith for anything if we don't know what God's will is concerning something. And that our faith is rooted in the character of God. One of my favorite sermons, one that I come back to at least yearly, is in uh, Hebrews. Uh, I gave this verse as 11.11. I hope that's the right one. I didn't even look at it. Uh, but in Hebrews chapter 11, in the great hall of faith, it says, yeah, in verse 11, by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. So it's rooted in the character of God. Sometimes the promise itself might not make a lot of sense, but we know God's character. And since it's God, and we know his character, and he said it, we believe it, we speak it, we get in agreement with it. Now, the reason I bring all this up is that I keep encountering, uh, I'll read these, I'll get these articles, somebody will send me a link or something like that, or it'll show up on Facebook, these armchair theologians who just love to point out that certain favorite verses and passages and promises are being taken out of context by the church at large. Now let me say first that obviously there are instances uh, and there's no shortage of them, of some very specific promises made to very specific people in very specific circumstances. They aren't across-the-board promises. You t- you, I mean, you can, you can get ridiculous about it. You know, uh, a year from now, you shall bear a son, and his name, you, you'll call his name Isaac. That's not a promise to you and to me right now, right? That was a promise to Sarah and Abraham. Uh, and not just promises, but commands. There's every command in the Bible for us. Lie on your uh, left side for 390 days and prophesy. That's not for me. Or if it is, I rebuke it. No, I'm kidding. If it's not for me. It's not for you. And, there, and a lot of these are pretty easy to spot, right? But some promises and statements are made in specific circumstances, but they clearly communicate a principle that speaks of God's character, speaks of God's will in a broader sense. And, this is key, they're reinforced in other scriptures. Specifically, you take an Old Testament promise, prophecy, or commandment, and it is reinforced in the New Testament. Okay? Famously, perhaps most famously. Jeremiah 29, 11. Most of you probably already know this, even if you're not big on scripture memory. You probably recognize that passage, don't you? For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And uh, this is one that shows up on a lot of graduation programs. Uh, It's a great one to speak over our children and over our, to remind ourselves of. And, but there are some people, and this one gets picked on a lot, who just love to point out people who claim that verse who put it in their graduation announcements and things like that, are completely ignorant of the circumstances surrounding that verse. Now, they might be, 
The circumstances surrounding that verse, by the way, is Judah is in captivity, right? They're in, they're in Babylon. They are suffering the results of their disobedience, the consequences of their disobedience. And God is saying, I haven't forgotten you. Just because you are experiencing this because of what you did doesn't mean I'm done with you. I still think good thoughts toward you. I still have a good plan for you, and you still have a hope and a future. Why? Because he's bringing them back. So that's the specific context. But is there something about that verse? I know the thoughts that I think toward, toward you. Thoughts for peace and not for evil. Thoughts to give you hope in the future. Is there something about, in the principle of that that reveals something about God's character that is reinforced in the New Testament? Because when people jump on that, and I've had this conversation in person with people, I'll say, so are you saying that that verse doesn't apply to me? And they'll stop and think and go, well, no, it does. I'll just say, well, then shut up. You know, you're just being pedantic. You're, being, you're, you're, you're just being silly about this stuff. You're just trying to show off your knowledge. It does apply. Let's look at a couple of them. Romans 8.28. I'll just read them off the screen. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who, uh, to those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8. What's the next one? 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now those are all New Testament words that reinforce the thought and the character of God that is revealed in Jeremiah 29, 11. So we absolutely, Jeremiah 29, 29, 11 is absolutely worth claiming, knowing, and remembering, right? Uh, another one, uh, Isaiah chapter 43, beginning in verse 1. We'll read the first uh, three verses here. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I, and we'll stop there. Because then it goes on to say some specific things about Israel and Egypt and uh, things that aren't necessarily applicable to us. So is this verse for us, or was it just for Israel in that time? Well, is there anything in the New Testament you can think of that sounds like that? Because the first thing that pops into my mind is Jesus himself saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So is there a principle there that we can claim from those verses? Yes, absolutely. Another favorite Philippians 4.13. Oops. I got the wrong one here. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes. 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 
Those are the one. That's what you see the athletes wearing on there when they put it on their equipment on their faces. Uh, it's a great verse. Just, well, it's just, what a so much packed into just a few words. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And there are people who love. I just saw something the other day. Somebody put a little meme up that said how we view Philippians four thirteen, and it's the guy holding two bags of money, smiling saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then next to it is a cartoon of a guy in chains saying, this is what God really meant. I can do all things who strengthens me. Why do we have to, why does it have to be either or? Because Paul's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And somebody wants to say, well, you have to understand, Paul wrote this in prison. He learned how to be abased. Well, he also learned how to abound, didn't he? What's he saying? I can, I'm not going to be, my attitude, my mission, my accomplishments are not going to be dictated by my circumstances. If God has called me to do it, he's empowered me to do it. I can do all things. And not just endure all things, I can accomplish all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, can we take it too far? If I can do all things, can I fly? Would you say in an airplane? <laughs> Great story about uh, Muhammad Ali that Ravi Zacharias likes to tell. Well, maybe you've heard this. Muhammad Ali was flying somewhere, and the plane encountered turbulence. And so the light came on telling everybody to fasten their seatbelts, and an announcement was made for everybody to fasten their seatbelts. And everybody did, except Ali. And the stewardess came and leaned over and said, Sir, would you please fasten your seatbelts? And Muhammad Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the stewardess said, Superman don't need no airplane, neither. <laughs> so, I may have shared this with you. This is, this, is, this is terribly embarrassing, but I'll share it with you anyway. Uh, I was a big comic book reader, big comic book fan. I started off with Richie Rich, and I graduated to Marvel Comics. Thank God he delivered me from, he spared me DC. I was a Marvel guy. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See who's dominating the cinematic universe right now. Anyway, uh, Iron Man, Spider-Man, all these guys. And Spider-Man was really my favorite, my first love. I have a Spider-Man costume that was custom made for me. It doesn't quite fit anymore because it was made for me about 200 pounds ago. Uh, no, 100 pounds ago. Anyway, uh, I was so, I, and I loved, man, one of my, my earliest favorite TV show was The Six Million Dollar Man. I just loved the idea of superpowers. I was fascinated by him. So when I first heard the word of faith, and people are preaching, you can have exactly what you say, anything you believe for, anything you say. I started speaking spider powers over myself, man. <laughs> I can climb walls. I can lift a car. It didn't work. Why? Because there wasn't a promise in God's word that indicated I could do anything like that. All right? There is a context. There, is, there are some control scriptures, right? And all of this has to be bound by the revealed will of God. But we are still limiting ourselves greatly because God has revealed so much of his will that we're not walking in. So... Uh, 
So yeah, we, we can take uh, Philippians 4.13 and we can get ridiculous with it, or we can take it for what it really means, but let's at least take it for what it means. Why, you know, I, can, I would look at it this way. If Paul in prison can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, how much more can I say out of prison, in freedom, say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me when I'm not limited by chains right now, okay? Now... There's another verse, though, that reinforces that, which is Jesus himself saying what? All things are possible to him who believes. But again, that's not with not just believing things in a vacuum. I mentioned uh, not too long ago that, that uh, Brother Keith Moore was sharing with us at the Rama Regional, RMAI Regional, that you've got people going around, Rama people, people who, ought, who, who've been in the word of faith for a long time, saying, well, we're believing God for this, we're believing God for that. He said, well, what do you mean you're believing God? What did God say that you are believing? What you're saying is you want something, all right? And so you're attaching some faith language to it. What word do you have from God? Not, you know, and it could be a, God, a word that God himself has given you, a desire that God himself has placed in your heart, okay? But let's just don't throw that, that phrase around willy-nilly, all right? What do we believe? We believe the word of God. And we must get the word. I'm talking about the Bible. We've got to get it in us, way down deep in us. These promises, these indicators, these uh, revealers of God's character, so that we really know what it is He wants, what uh, what He wants, what God expects of us, what kind of God He is. His desires have to be woven into our consciousness, our awareness, so that as we are praying. As we are being led by the Spirit, he can speak those written words to us. He can quicken them to us, bring them alive. You know, that's what the word rhema means. Talk, talk about the difference between uh, logos and rhema. Well, logos is the written word and rhema is the spoken word. Rhema is the written word spoken. It's God's word written, made alive, and spoken. So if you're in a you're, so you're in a tough season, all right. Maybe you have a uh, a decision to make. Maybe you're facing the toughest challenge of your life. Maybe your financial situation is crushing you. Maybe you've been diagnosed with a disease. Maybe your children are wandering from the faith. Maybe your marriage is crumbling. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Romans eight fourteen. There's more than one angle to that verse. But fundamentally, I'm telling you, and I think we covered this when we were in Romans, what it's saying is that if you are a son of God, a child of God, then you can be led by him. In fact, what it's really saying is that only those who are children of God can be led by him. So if we are children of God, we can be led. And in those situations, we can expect, we can trust, we can claim his guidance, his leadership. And in those situations, he'll quicken certain scriptures, make them come alive to us, and he will urge us to claim them. What am I talking about? These situations I just described. You've got a decision to make? God gives me wisdom, and he gives it to me liberally when I ask for it. So since I asked for it, I expect to receive it. I will make the right decision. I will follow peace, and I will experience peace with the decision I make because God directs my steps to the right decision. That's a great thing to say, and every word of that is rooted in Scripture. 
Finances? I'm a tither, and God rebukes the devourer for my sake. I give, and it will be given to me. My God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. And that's the tip of the iceberg. Disease? He forgives all my iniquities and heals all my diseases. God, you are the God who heals me. Jesus bore those stripes to purchase my healing. Your children. God, historically in your word, you have saved households. You love my children more than I love my children. Send the right person across their path, laborers into the harvest. I have trained up my child, and what I have invested in them will not depart from them. Your word will not return void. Your marriage. God, you have promised never to leave or forsake any of us, and we have certainly not deserved that kind of loyalty. I can remain loyal. You are a God of love, and your love has been poured into my heart. Therefore, I will love my spouse. My spouse will love me. You are the one who said, you are the one who said, two shall be one flesh, so we will not only not separate that, but we expect our love to burn brightly again as a reflection of the love you have for us. I will love my wife as Christ loved the church. I will love and honor and submit to my husband. Listen, there is nothing wrong, nothing wrong per se, with just crying out, oh, God, help me. Nothing wrong with that, because we're honest in that moment. We are admitting our dependence on him. But we have to move from that. We have to proceed in faith to make claims on his word. Back to Isaiah 43 again. I don't think I gave you this one. Sorry. In Isaiah 43, uh, beginning in verse 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. And we have to be careful with this because there's a couple different things God is saying here, uh, but they're not opposed to each other. One thing he's saying is, if you're going to stand before me and try to tell me that the judgment that I'm bringing about in your midst is wrong, you are going to lose this case. But he is saying, what, what, where does he start? I'm the one who blots out your transgressions. It's not my desire to hold these things against you forever. Come and make your case. Why? So that you can be justified. This is what my heart is. Now, we fast forward to the New Testament. What is our case? Put me in remembrance. You understand God doesn't forget, Right? You know, there, there are many times we read the phrase, then God remembered so-and-so. God remembered Noah. God remembered the... It, it just means he acted on their behalf in that moment. It's like, oh, I forgot about Noah. He's floating around that boat all this time. What am I going to do? No, he never forgets. He says, put me in remembrance. He's saying, you bring my word to me. Show me that you know it. So what is our case before God? Well, when we're talking about iniquities and things, our only case is his promise to blot them out. Our only case is the cross of Christ. We plead the blood. Now, that's a phrase. I'm going to be wrapping up here soon, so praise and worship team, you can come on up here. That's a phrase that's taken a lot of, I don't know, people have played fast and loose with it. I've, you know, draw a bloodline here, plead the blood over this, blood over that. It's a legal term, and I'm not trying to diminish it. It's a great, it's a very powerful concept. When we plead the blood, it's kind of like pleading the fifth. 
there's something real, something, something that we have access to that protects us, that saves us. And when we're on trial, the prosecutor is the devil, the judge is God the Father, and it's like you have been accused by the accuser with these sins, and these sins make you filthy, they make you unrighteous in the sight of God. How do you plead? Well, we're guilty, but we don't want to be punished. We don't want to be sentenced. So what do we plead? We plead the blood. And our defense attorney, the Holy Spirit, says, yes, Your Honor, guilty of doing these things, but the sentence has already been served. The blood has already been shed. So we can declare the accused innocent. That's what it means to plead the blood. And so, when we make our case before God, when we go with these promises, actually, we go with our requests. Make your requests known to God. I've been reading some stuff about prayer, kind of inspired by some stuff Gary Crowell said, and everything he said I agree with. But I've heard so many people say, uh, you know, prayer is so, you know, prayer is listening to God. I've preached this before, and it is. You do have to listen to God, of course, but prayer is conversation. Prayer is communication. Prayer is meditation. You know what? A lot of what the Bible says about prayer is you making your requests known to God. You asking God for stuff is not only a legitimate form of prayer, but it's a very popular form of prayer in the Bible. So when we go to him with our requests, with our needs, we still put him in remembrance of his word. Here is what I want, Lord. Here is what I need. And I'm bold enough to ask you because you said in your word that you would supply all my needs, heal all my diseases, restore my relationships, save my children, etc., etc., etc. And these things should come out of us in prayer, prompted by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Stand up with me. I'm going to pray a uh, prayer to close this message out, and I want to ask everybody first, are you saved? Do you have this relationship with God? I think everybody in here does. So praise God. Everybody in here, baptize with the Holy Spirit. Baptize in the Holy Spirit so that you can pray in the Spirit. Pray in that prayer. Like, man, I want to pray. I want to pray effectively. I'm not sure what to pray. Start praying in tongues. It's a great way to put yourself in a position to hear from the Spirit of God where he can fill, where he can bring these scriptures up and out of you. But if you haven't done that, if you've not surrendered your life to Christ in the first place, if you've not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want to pray with you when we sing this song. But everybody else, let's just make this our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for your great and precious promises. Let us not take them for granted, not just knowing them and taking for granted, but let us not take for granted that we just have a Bible that we can look them up. Spur us on, Lord. Light a fire under us so that we get these promises down in our hearts so that when we face a need, when we face a temptation, when we face a desire, that these scriptures come up. We'll hear the voice of your spirit. We are trusting you, Lord, to quicken your words in our lives. Bring them out of our mouths so that we speak them with authority. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God who heals us, who provides for us, who restores us, who fills our lives with purpose. And on top of that, Lord God, that you use us. You fill us with your very self. 
your spirit and you anoint us and equip us to be your ministers in this world. Thank you for the awesome privilege of being your ambassadors today. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody in here who does not know you as Lord, does not know Jesus as Lord, does not know you as Father, I pray, Lord, if there's anybody in here who has not experienced the wonderful baptism, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that they would come to know you and receive that tonight in Jesus' name. Convict them of their need, convince them of their need, and grant them the desire to come and receive it now in Jesus' name. All the believers said, amen. God bless you as you come. Let's go ahead and sing. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.